Hi, this is Mark Rabin. Before the episode, let me quickly tell you about my new book. It's titled Measures of Success. It's a book that will help you react less to your performance metrics, every up and down in those. It'll help you lead better. It'll help you improve more. So you can learn more about the book by going to www.measuresofsuccessbook.com or you can search Amazon. It's available as a print book, a Kindle book. It's available through Apple Books. I hope you'll check it out. Hi, this is Mark Raven. If you like this podcast, you might realize I have a blog, leanblog.org. Did you also know that I have another podcast called Lean Blog Audio? And there I basically, occasionally, or as often as I can, I read audiobook style versions of blog posts. So you can go to leanblog.org slash audio or search in your favorite podcast place for Lean Blog Audio. I hope that'll give you something else uh, that's food for thought, something else to help you in your lean journey. Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 291 of the podcast. It's October 24th, 2017. My guest today is my friend and colleague, Jeff Roussel. He is the VP of sales at Kinexus, a technology company I've been involved with for over six years now. And as Jeff will humbly explain um, in introducing himself, uh, he joined our team almost four years ago as an experienced sales leader, not as an expert in lean or process improvement. But Jeff is a voracious learner, and he probably talks to, in fact, I'm quite certain, he talks to more organizations about their process improvement efforts, you know, what their aims are, what they're struggling with, uh, more so than anybody I know. Our main theme for the podcast today is not technology. Our, our topics include what Jeff is hearing from organizations and trends he hears about. I hope you'll enjoy the conversation, uh, as did I. I hope you'll join us on Thursday as Jeff presents a free webinar um, that Kinexus and I will be hosting titled The Why, How, and What of Continuous Improvement. If you'd like to register for that, um, to uh, watch it live or to um, get the recording, you can go to www.kinexus.com slash webinars. For links and more information, go to the page for this episode at leanblog.org slash 291. Jeff, hey, thanks for being a guest on the podcast today. Sure. Thanks, Mark. I'm really excited to be here. Can you start off and maybe give your own introduction uh, to the audience, talk about um, yourself, a little bit about your background and uh, your current role at Kinexus? Sure. Um, happy to do that. So currently, I am the vice president of sales at Kinexus, although I, I kind of see my role as, as being that in a leadership position at this organization um, to try to help our customers and our employees um, our mission is to spread a culture of continuous improvement. I kind of see that as an extension of my job here. Uh, I, I look at the sales role at Kinexus as one that, that we have to help customers to understand what we believe in and the problems that we're trying to solve so they can decide whether or not we're going to be a good partner. I think our platform will evolve over time, but our ability to be a partner to customers is going to be what's most important. I, uh, I spent my formative years as a computer developer, a coder, and realized that I wasn't going to be very good at, at that. 
And then I uh, transitioned into sales roles about 20 years ago and have helped a number of organizations to build their messaging and their customer interactions from a sales capacity. So that's what I do for Kinexis and I'm really excited about it. I've been doing it now for about three and a half years. And I can link, you know, in the blog page for this episode, um, you know, at Kinexis about a year ago, we put together a video um, with a number of the things we believe as uh, a company. Um, so we can have that whole list, but you know, what, what's something that stands out to you from that list that you talk about internally as Kinexus grows and, and something, you know, that resonates with customers? Yeah, I mean, I, great question. I think the, the thing that really stands out to me and one of the things I, I didn't instinctively know before I started to study the phenomenon of continuous improvement is how much you have to trust your frontline employees, mm -hmm. how they're the ones doing the work and they're the ones who are going to have the best ideas to improve that work. And, and too many people, I think, fall under the misconception that managers are gonna have the good ideas and they're gonna tell employees what to do. And it just doesn't work that way. There's a certain level of trust that you have to place in your frontline staff so they give you the ideas on the direction of your organization. And that's been a really key driver, both for me personally and I think for Kinexus in general. Yeah, you know, when you talk about building, um, you know, as the company grows, more people come on board, trying to create that culture internally, your, your role, I'm curious your thoughts, has shifted a little bit from being uh, the sales guy to having a sales team as a VP of sales. So how, how do you try to, um, did you have a story about relying on your frontline staff? You know, I, I wasn't classically trained in lean. The only belts I have hold up my pants. But, <laughs> um, but I, I, I've been trying to focus on creating a lean culture in the sales organization here at Kinexis. And so like one of the things that, that we do is we hold daily, weekly, and monthly huddles. And I had to, to learn to create a specific agenda for those. But, but the job there is not for me to talk and not for me to drive those meetings, but for our team to drive those meetings. Mm -hmm. You know, I need to hear what's happening in their world, uh, less so than they need to hear what's happening in mine. And so that, that's been a big key for us. But the other one that's, I hate to use a negative word, but um, I remember it as don't, don't punish your people, punish the process mm -hmm. and and when we make a mistake and, and we make mistakes all the time we we demo to the wrong people or we, we give people the wrong message at the wrong time or we don't guide them in the right direction and it's easy to blame my people for that but but that's the wrong thing right we have to create the right processes that add to customer value from sales interaction and that's very front and center for me. It's something that's extremely important as we grow as an organization. Yeah. Now, you know, as you mentioned, you know, with your background uh, in, in software development and sales, you weren't classically trained in lean. But I'm, I'm curious if you can share for the audience, why was the idea of continuous improvement, the idea of Kinexus um, compelling to you as, uh, you know, at that time, sort of an outsider to all of this? Because, yeah, you're right. When I joined... Kinexus, I really didn't know what lean or continuous improvement was. I, I kind of always resonated with concepts of leadership. That's always been an important 
topic for me and something that I enjoy learning about. And, and when I kind of learned what continuous improvement and lean really were, they just aligned with my beliefs on, on leadership. Um, I, I, just, I feel that that focus on customer value, that respect for people, and then that, that, that unrelenting drive to getting better every day is something that anybody can do. It's not something that, um, that requires a ton of training or, or learning. It's really just a desire and a discipline and a habit. And that's been very exciting for me. It's yeah. something that I'm still doing every day. Well, you know, I want to talk about what you hear about because, you know, part of the reason I wanted to do the podcast here, um, you know, is that I think you, you know, very uniquely have a finger on the pulse of different organizations um, that, that you talk to uh, all day, every day. Um, you know, you say I, you're right, um, continuous improvement. It's certainly something anybody can do, but, um, you know, there, there's often a lot of, you know, kind of self-defeating talk. We're not ready for this. And, you know, I try to encourage people to say, well, you're never, you're never going to be perfectly ready. At some point you have to start. Um, but you know, I'm curious your, your thoughts on that or what, what are, you know, in, in addition to that, what are some of the other things that you hear about when, when you're talking with prospective customers? Yeah, so I, you know, I probably, I, I, I joke and say that I probably talk to more organizations about improvement than anybody mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm in a sales role. So I talk to sometimes 20 to 30 organizations a week about their improvement journey and where they're at and the challenges that they're having. And it, it amazes me that the same topics just come up over and over and over again. And in those topics tend to align themselves in three specific areas. And I wish I had kind of coined the triangle, but they all fit in that basic kind of business school triangle of people, process, and technology. And so, so I see it all the time from a people standpoint, you know, people don't have the right leadership behaviors yet for a culture of improvement. You know, we, we have customers here where their CEOs say, you will participate in improvement or you will not fit in this organization. That's commitment. That's the first kind of cornerstone to doing, to creating a culture of improvement is committing to create it. And most people don't do that. You know, they don't have that kind of necessary executive air cover, uh, which then means they can't hold people accountable to it. And, and that's a problem, you know, long-term that causes issues. The same thing goes for processes. We, we see, I see customers all the time, their processes are so complex, their 20-step project management processes and, um, and they're hard for people to follow. And it's just not something that an everyday employee is going to be able to, to latch onto. So I tell people all the time, create simple processes, develop discipline around them, make those processes consistent. You know, this isn't, it isn't rocket science. It, it takes some, it, sometimes it takes a little bit of stepping back and realizing that we need to simplify things. And then from a technology standpoint, we just, we see too much where technology becomes a hindrance as opposed to something that enables those leadership behaviors and those processes. And that's something that kind of actually we're trying to solve. Yeah, so I kind of like to let's work backwards and um, unpeel each of those um, 
topics a little bit. Um, working backwards, you know, say technology becomes a hindrance. Uh, in a way, uh, post-it notes, cards, bulletin boards, whiteboards, those are a form of technology, right? And, and in some ways, I mean, people are coming to you because some of those classic visual technologies, while, while effective in some ways, become a hindrance in others, right? Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. I mean, you know, I look at it as if we weren't using technology, we would just keep all this stuff in our head, right? But but pen and paper is a technology. Mm -hmm. and, and so it serves its purpose in a number of situations. And those whiteboards and those sticky notes serve their purpose in a number of situations. However, you know, they can detract from the situation sometimes. And you know, we see that often as you start to try to do improvement, even at just really small scale, you know, it's hard for people if you're not standing around the same break room to look at the same sticky notes. And so, so all of a sudden you lose visibility into what's happening across an organization. And, and then you, you start to struggle around collaboration. You know, if you, if you can't, if you're not standing in the same break room, it's really hard to collaborate around improvement efforts. Right. And those are things that technology can help. You know, there, there's no doubt. Now, there's other things like understanding of impact and being searchable and, and helping create standards that are also equally as important. But just some of the basics of collaboration and visibility, you know, those, those the technologies of whiteboards and pen and paper, they just don't solve those problems, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about, um, I want to go backward again, talk about, you know, process and, and people and leadership. You know, I, what, what you said resonated with me there about people overcomplicating uh, approaches to improvement. I, I'm reminded of uh, Pascal Dennis, the author and consultant. He's a former Toyota guy. And I've learned a lot from, from Pascal over the years. And, and, and Pascal really emphasizes the idea of using the simplest improvement model possible for a given situation, where sometimes the opposite is the norm in an organization. We overcomplicate things. We force everything into the same project template. We make everything in A3. We make everything uh, a big event. And, and there's, there's power in, in simplicity, but having a disciplined approach to simplicity, I, I would add. What, what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I say it maybe a little differently, but what I hear from, or what I sense from most organizations that I talk to is that they have their focus in the wrong area. They're either focused on projects or they're focused on tools, right? They're, they're focused on doing these big, heavy, projects that are going to change the organization and save them and, and ride them off into the sunset, or they're focused on, on this A3 methodology that they've selected or this Demaic concept that they need to follow, that sort of thing. And, and I think they would just do better to simplify and focus on their people. You know, if they, if they improve their communication with their people and their ability to ask their people to guide them in the direction they need to go, they would get much better results much more quickly. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, that, that's a, a very common theme I see across organizations that I talk to. Yeah. Well, and then, so let's let's step back to the other piece on on people and, and leadership behaviors. And, and one thing that kind of, you know, jumped out to me, uh, and, and I hear this a lot from people, um, it, it's great to have 
um, executive commitment. Um, you know, Joe Schwartz and I in our Healthcare Kaizen books talk about uh, executives having a belief in lean and helping express that belief that we believe, as you were saying earlier, everybody on the front line has valid, will have valid ideas to improve their work. And we want to hear those ideas. Um, I, I, you know, I think there's, there's another point to that where, you know, there, there's a difference between creating a culture where people want to do improvement, where they feel safe, where they're engaged versus sometimes, um, you know, in the last webinar that I did on, on bottom, bottom up improvement, I talked about, you know, what, what might seem like irony of somebody in a very top down way saying or commanding, you will, thou shalt participate in continuous improvement. I think, I think that's well intended. Um, but, you know, there's times where I've had the coach organizations to say, you know, uh, you know, telling people they must do it sometimes just brings compliance. They check the box and, and that doesn't necessarily um, create that that culture of continuous improvement. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it, it, from from the people side of it, the leadership side of of lean. you know, one, I think you have to have that commitment. Too many people really just don't. But to me. You know that commitment has to to lead to passion mm-hmm. around it, right? You have to know in your heart that that not only will your organization be better with this commitment, but your customers and your patients and and you know your stakeholders are going to be better off with with you committing to this lean culture. And so so I try to simplify that for people and say, look, you got to be committed. But you also have to communicate that commitment. You have to do it early and you have to do it often. And you can't really ever stop. You know, it has right. to be part of the, the communication of the organization. And then you have to hold people accountable to it. So if you don't know which of your managers are most successful at getting lean ideas from their people, you know, shame on you. You're not, you're not looking at the accountability piece of this with the right passion in mind. And, and so that that's hard for organizations to do. I, I get it. That's a hard thing, but um, it's possible because we've seen it and we've seen the results of it. And uh, it's something everyone I think should strive for. Yeah. So let, let's, I mean, I, I'm curious to hear a little bit more on that piece. Um, you know, talk a little bit about some of the capabilities within Kinexus as a technology platform. Uh, what, what are some of the ways people use um, technology to, uh, you know, to get that visibility into, you know, how much performance improvement is taking place in different parts of the organization. So Kinexus is designed with that visibility in mind, right? So I think when, when organizations use Kinexus, it's a little easier for them to make decisions because they have that kind of visibility. They know which departments are doing well they know which ones need a little bit more coaching and they can create a plan around that. But, but, you know, just as, as kind of examples, we see all the time over, even if you have a very successful improvement culture, bottlenecks can happen. You know, you have leadership changes, you have people, people kind of go and leave, if you will, and, and they might be the driver in one part of your organization of successful improvement. And once there's a change, you have to go and reignite that part of the organization. You know, I think what technology does is it, it highlights for you where that's needed. It doesn't change it for you. It doesn't, 
It doesn't alleviate the need to go in there with good leadership behaviors and good processes. Right. It just simply tells you where where it's needed most. And we see that time and again. But but I'll even be a little bit more specific there. You know, we look at impact as a huge driver of improvement success, not because you should be doing improvement in order to get cost savings or revenue generation, but but we all work in businesses and we all have to answer to, to boards and executives, et cetera. And when you can go to them and show the true results of the improvement work you're doing, well, then it's so much easier to get the commitment you need. You know, it's kind of like this self-fulfilling prophecy or this kind of circle mm-hmm. where you get the commitment, you get the results, you get the results, you get more commitment. And and when you can do that, it just makes your life so much easier. And I think technology can play a huge role in those areas. Yeah, I mean, there's a dynamic there. Some would either call that, you know, a, a positive reinforcement loop. Uh, you might call it a flywheel where it takes time, you know, with the leadership behaviors, introducing a methodology, encouraging people, getting started. At some point, you know, where you, you you build up the motion of that flywheel, it, it doesn't become completely self-sustaining, but boy, there's momentum. Once you get what, like you're saying, those those just reinforcing cycles of commitment, improvement, results, recognition, more participation, more results. Um, that, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's great when you when you're there to witness it. I, I tell you, I, I would. You know, I've been lucky enough to be with you at Franciscan and, and Mary Greeley and different places like that. And I would recommend to anyone to, to go and visit an organization that that does this passionately and does it well, because you, you can't help but feel the difference yeah. in the way that people enjoy their work and the results that they're able to drive. Yeah, I, I agree. It's uh, it's something everybody can do, but it's it's still pretty rare. And, and you know, I think that's where going to visit an organization gives you a sense of the culture, uh, you know, in a way that's uh, more more powerful than just reading about it. Um, so I'd encourage people. Um, you know, maybe next year Joe and I are gonna Joe Schwartz and I will host uh, another site visit uh, to Franciscan uh, in Indianapolis. But um, one other thing I wanted to ask. You know, you mentioned you know, 20 to 30 organizations a week. Are there certain trends or patterns that you hear in terms of the methodologies people are using these days, buzzwords? Um, what, what, I mean, I should have asked you in advance, but you know, if we were to play a game of Family Feud, what are the top five? Not that I'm encouraging buzzwordery, but you know, what, what are the phrases and methods that you hear of most? The, the first one, that comes to mind in almost every conversation is what I call episodic improvement. Some people call it Kaizen events. Some people call it rapid improvement events. Some people just call it lean projects, but, um, but that's part of really every conversation. And I think it's a needed part, right? There are certain things that need to be solved Mm -hmm. that kind of collaborative effort. But unfortunately I think too many, too many organizations use that as their improvement culture, right? They mistake um, a, a good improvement culture for doing those kinds of projects. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that's first and foremost, that's something that I hear almost universally. Lately, uh, more and more people have been kind of questioning, how do we do strategy deployment? How do mm-hmm. we do Ocean Conry? Everyone uses a different word for it. Um, the, the trend I see there is, when I ask 
well, what are your goals right now? You know, they have to send me a document with their 40 or 50 goals. And I think people have real trouble um, narrowing down their focus to the things that, that they really should be working on that should drive customer value. And then, and then rolling that out to the different parts of their organization successfully. Right. Um, well, so and, that, and that's you, something I, I wonder if 40 or 50 goals is too much sometimes. I mean, I, I think more than four or five is probably yeah. too much. Yeah. Um, so I think 40 or 50 is, is ridiculous. Um, but it happens. I mean, and people are in organization where that's what they're trying to do. And so, you know, you, you kind of question whether one of those metrics is, if it moves in a positive or a negative direction, did it really change the course of the organization? Did it, you know, is it really a leading indicator of success? And it's very hard to figure that all of them can be that. Yeah. And I think that's connected back to your first point. If an organization has way too many goals, they also tend to have way too many projects that they would call top priority. And I've just seen, you know, too many instances where organizations really struggle. They don't get anything done because there's so many uh, conflicting pulls on, on people's time. So, you know, a, a good discipline of strategy deployment, you know, helps people uh, prioritize and, and focus and, and, and get something done and then move on to the next things. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. You know, the other thing I see uh, is, uh, is huddles. And it's, a, you know, people use that word very generically, but when I, when I kind of peel back the layers of the onion, um, people tend to have a very specific processes for huddles. You know, they're in front of a board that has to be a very specific way and they have to move papers down to the bottom right and, and that sort of stuff. And, and you know, I, the feedback I get from the front lines is that sometimes that's hard to understand, you know, to, to figure that process out. And I think just in general, you know, I, I like the idea of trying to keep track of that sort of information, but sometimes that gets in the way of just the true kind of compassion of asking your people what's bothering them and figuring that out and then going and solving that problem. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, people might use huddles sometimes as a way, you know, started out with the best of intentions, but it's not actually solving that problem of making people's day-to-day -day job better. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I forget who I was discussing this with recently. I think it was part of a, a LinkedIn discussion. I heard someone else talking about the idea. If, if your huddles uh, are the type of thing where people show up and stare at their shoes and look at their watches and they can't wait to get out of there. I, I think I heard someone talk about this in a software setting, but I've seen it in healthcare too. If I would say, boy, if the continuous improvement huddle is not proving helpful, then improve the improvement huddle. And, and do what you can to make it more relevant for people. Uh, I mean, I think that's an uh, opportunity to try to practice what we preach out there in uh, the improvement realm. That's a little bit of a pet peeve for me is that improve the way you improve. That's something I hear almost never, right? Like, you know, no one, no one reaches out to us and says, hey, we're trying to improve the way we improve. You know, they reach well, out and say, we're trying to get our organization to be better at improving. Uh, and sometimes they might, you know, do well to kind of turn the mirror on themselves and, and figure out how to improve their improvement process, how yeah. to have that constant focus on getting better at improvement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a good point. That's usually kind of, so, I mean, do you draw that out? It seems like that's sort of an underlying question behind the question. Does that come out when you're having 
conversations with uh, prospective customers? Yeah, we, we do. We talk about that a lot. It's, um, you know, it's a challenge, right? It, it, it's, um, I don't, I don't want to call someone's baby ugly. You know, that this is their program, their improvement program. They're proud of it and they should be proud of it. They're doing really good, hard work, but they have to remember that the same principles they're trying to teach others, they need to, to also do themselves. Yeah. You know, if, if you're not having huddles about improvement, then how can you be trying to teach people to have huddles about their, their unit and their job? Yeah. And, and so that's a, you know, a point most people miss. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've been to some organizations where the, you know, process improvement group, kind of the central group that is there to help teach and coach um, continuous improvement. It's not that they're doing all of the improvement, but uh, I think that, you know, the best, scenarios I've seen uh, are, you know, those improvement teams doing their own daily huddles to talk about um, their, their, their challenges, their methodologies. And, you know, I think that that sets a good tone and they figure out how to be more effective within the organization, which is really Absolutely. what it's all about. Right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, what, what would you say when people reach out and initiate um, a discussion with you, what, what are the main challenges you've already alluded to some of them but are, are there some other you know key challenges and reasons why um, they, they schedule an appointment to talk you know one of the things that i've noticed and and i don't i don't know if it's a complete industry kind of average that's worked out but my gut tells me that for one for every one process improvement person in an organization there's at least 1,200 to 1,500 employees, mm -hmm. right? And and I think it should be a much lower ratio, but the fact of the matter is, is that it's not. And so this challenge of organizing and keeping track of what's happening and focusing your time is, is an underappreciated challenge. I mean, we see organizations that have physical huddle boards and, and it doesn't, you don't have to be very big to have 30 or 40 or 50 of them. And then all of a sudden the process improvement guy has to round on those boards or the executives have to round on those boards and, and you can't even do one a month. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden there's a big challenge around organization and visibility. That's very underappreciated. Right. And I, I personally think technology can help there, right? I'm very biased. I work for Kinexus, but, but, no matter how you solve that problem, that is a problem. And it's one that we hear over and over and over again. Now, let's say somebody reaches out and, you know, wants to talk about technology. They're also talking about people, process, leadership behaviors. Um, you know, if somebody's if somebody who's really far off from having that culture of continuous improvement, um, how, how does that discussion go? Because obviously, you know, you're, you know, Connexus, we're, we're trying to help people spread improvement, be more successful. But, you know, we do that primarily through technology and, and, and software. Um, I, I mean, what, what's what's your advice on, on the role of technology if someone's kind of, you know, trying to create that culture from the beginning? Sure. Yeah. I have this conversation quite often. Um, you know, my, my advice to most people is even a little more basic or it starts a little further back than that is it's really to go and figure out why why you want to do this 
right? Why do you want to create this culture? Why is it important to you? Why is it important to your organization? Because then that helps you decide whether you just want to give it the good old college try or whether you want to ultimately become really good at it and really, really great at it. And, and if that's the case, then there's no doubt that technology has to play a role, right? Otherwise, you're going to struggle with the problems of visibility and, and collaboration and standards and impact and that sort of stuff. And so, so it has to be part of your decision process. It's by no means the only part because the leadership behaviors and the processes are very important. But what I typically try to coach people into is start small and run a series of PDSAs. Ah, mm -hmm. You can do the same thing with improvement. There's no reason that you have to go try to get a thousand person organization to all be doing continuous improvement in a two week time frame, right? The success stories that we've seen have started in a small group, built good processes, replicated those processes and improved them with the second group, the third group, the fourth group. And over time, then, then you build the habit within your organization. And so, you know, that, that is usually my coaching yeah. is, is even with technology, you know, think of this small iterate in, in PDSA cycles and over time you can build the culture that you want to build. Yeah. And I think, you know, this PDSA cycle is another great opportunity for people to, um, you know, practice what they preach in, in the name of improvement and helping uh, their organizations improve. Um, well, you know, I know some other people come to Kinexus when they already have a good culture of improvement. The, they have the, uh, the nice problem to have of having, you know, too many improvements to, uh, to keep track of and uh, quantify. Um, you know, whether it's a situation like that or somebody who has built a culture, what, what are some of the characteristics, other characteristics you see uh, in, in Kinex's customers that have been the most successful with improvement and, and with the, the, the Kinex's platform? You know, one of the keys that I see with the successful, and, and I use that word successful relatively, right? Everyone's always on a journey and, and it ebbs and flows constantly, but, but you can just tell that some people have had a better go at it than others. Um, Aside from that leadership commitment that we talk about, I'm convinced that getting the managers to buy in is the key component. And if you can get your managers and your supervisors to buy in, and I mean truly buy in to, to developing this kind of a culture, then their people will follow along. And, um, and there's multiple ways of doing that. I mean, we've talked in the past about, you know, using some sort of a workout methodology to get the managers to buy in and then following that up with with a kickoff methodology to get the front lines involved but you have to have that managerial buy-in i also think that that most of the successful organizations while they they might track financial benefits of improvement it isn't the driver right there's a bigger uh, passion there's a there's a connection to the mission of the organization that improvement plays into. And, and it isn't kind of the, the financial impact of the work that they're doing. I just think it helps people to buy into to why this is an important thing. And then lastly, um, the organizations that do this well are focused on their employees. They have a passion for making their organization a great place to work. You know, they see improvement as, 
as not a, a selfish means to an end, but for a way to make their organization a fantastic place to be at. And again, that's something you can feel and you can see when you visit these types of, of companies is that focus on the employee. So, um, so we'll kind of wrap up here in a couple of minutes. Um, I want to touch on some of the results that you're seeing out there. I know we, you know, we summarized some of those, those results on the Kinexus website. Because, um, you know, people might be listening and saying, well, you know, uh, technology sounds like a nice theory. They might even, you know, hopefully if they're listening to the podcast, they believe improvement, engaging people in improvement is more than just theory. But, you know, how, how do you characterize some of the results uh, that Kinexus customers are reporting out there? I, I look at it in a couple of ways. Right? I mean, I, I think when you, you kind of boil it down, what we're really looking for is more improvements faster project completions and, and more people doing improvement. Um, you know, if you look at it as, as a math equation, if you're going to do more improvement, you either have to do more of them, you have to do them faster, or you got to have more people doing them. Right. And so, so I think, you know, you can kind of bucket your results into those, those kinds of areas. Um, you know, just to give I would recommend that anybody might go to Kinexus's website and, and we always publish the results that our customers capture in the platform but for instance i think implementation rate is a, is a huge indicator of success you know how, what percentage of the improvements that your organization identifies actually lead to a measurable change and if you can keep that around 80 percent 90 percent you're doing top-notch improvement work that means that your people are good at identifying wasteful steps and that means you have a good process for taking that those those situations and improving your organization based on them. So that, that's a very simple kind of leading indicator that people can track. Um, I also think that that implemented improvements per year or per month is a really good good metric. Uh, some organizations are great at this. They'll they'll do you know one per employee per month, and that's like the the gold standard of of trying to get there. Across Kinexus, we see our customers averaging two implemented improvements per year per employee. But what's really interesting to me is we see that number increase almost immediately once they implement the platform. It just eliminates some of the typical obstacles that people go through. Um, financially, you know, we, our customers have identified over $250 million in savings in the platform. You know, that's a measurable impact to their organizations. They've done over 12,000 quality improvements. And, and I think those sort of things just add up over time. Yeah, and, I've, I've, and this is a conversation I'm sure you have a lot. I know I've had it with a lot of people over the years. Well, you know, how much of that impact can be attributed to uh, technology as opposed to people in process? You know, that's a harder answer to uh, quantify exactly because yeah. it is a, it's a commingling of people, process, and technology. Yeah. But uh, we see it time and again where that implementation rate just just changes over time. Uh, a good example. Um, uh, hopefully, she won't mind me kind of kind of using her as an example. But uh, Tanya Lyon at St. Clair Health in Pittsburgh. Uh, we we co-presented at a um, Carnegie Education Lean Summit last year, and she presented a poster, which I thought was amazing. But one of the things I noticed in the data that she presented was that in the first year of using 
Kinexis, uh, most of the improvements that her, her employees implemented were satisfactory. There were employee satisfaction improvements, which mean that they were kind of improving their own lives. Yep. In year two, that had transitioned to quality, to patient quality improvements. And they had moved to improving patient lives. And so, you know, her patience was rewarded and the technology helped her to see that she was moving in the right direction. Did the technology lead to the change in quality? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But by her being able to focus on that and see the difference, you know, it made a huge, a huge difference in, in her ability to keep people bought into the process. And now she has that kind of flywheel that you were describing, where she has that kind of momentum yeah. in her organization. Yeah. And, and I've seen that poster. We've got uh, a copy of it hanging there in the Kinexus office, but uh, I've, I've, I've tweeted that. So I'll, I'll share pictures of that poster uh, on the blog page for this episode. And, and like Jeff was saying, you can do a Google search for Kinexus customer impact and um, see some of those numbers reported directly by customers. Um, was there anything else you wanted to add? You know, you mentioned earlier about applying uh, lean concepts to sales and involving frontline staff, doing huddles. Is is there anything else you've learned about, let's say, thinking of sales as a process or the application of lean uh, to to sales? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a constant thing that I'm trying to to learn about. It sometimes is hard for me. And, and I'm guessing then it's also hard for some other people in different roles within an organization to, to really be able to tie back their actions and their contributions to customer value, right? When, when we change the pricing at Kinexus, it's easy to fall into that trap of, of changing it based on our needs, right? Based on kind of a selfish need. Uh, as opposed to thinking through, well, what what value is this going to bring to our customer? If we change the way we do our demos, if we change the way we um, we handle a legal agreement, all that sort of stuff, you know, it's easy to get selfish in there, and everyone does it. And and that focus on kind of customer value and how does this correlate to customer value? I think anyone can do that. Yeah. Anyone can develop that discipline that discipline in any part of an organization. So uh, that's definitely something I'd recommend to, to people. Just you can do that in your day-to-day -day job, no matter your role, you could focus on how you contribute to customer value. Yeah, and I mean, I think that, boy, it seems like you hit the nail on the head that applying lean to sales or applying lean to anything is not about a laundry list of tricks and tactics. It's that ongoing exploration about how do we do things better? Yeah, couldn't agree more. Thank you. Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head there. Um, are there. Any other kind of final thoughts you would want to share? Any other key learnings um, within you know the last three and a half years uh, of work at Kinexus? Yeah, I just I mean, hopefully my passion for this concept comes through in my voice. I think it's extremely mm -hmm. important. You know, I, I try to use it as a parent. I try to use it as a a spouse, a husband. I try to use it as a friend. I try to use it as a worker. Uh, I think it's applicable everywhere. I think that more people would do themselves a favor if they just got started. You know, if they just, you know, just go ask people for ideas and then figure out little ways to make improvements and, and 
don't try to boil the ocean just just go one at a time i just i think over time people would develop the habits and the disciplines that they want in order to improve their 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 lives and and i would just tell people to get started that's something i learned over and over and over again great advice get started so um, i want to thank you for for sharing that and for sharing some of your thoughts and perspectives uh, again our guest has been jeff roussel vp of sales at kinexus how can people find you online or, or reach out to you jeff if they'd uh, like to learn more or talk with you sure so i, I think there's a way to contact me on the kinexus website on uh, www.kinexus.com. Uh, I'm also at Twitter, um, just Jeff underscore Roussel. And um, yeah, that's probably the easiest ways to find me. Okay. Very good. Well, um, thanks again for uh, the discussion today. Thanks for um, you know being part of the Kinexus team and uh, really enjoyed working with you and look forward to uh, what's ahead. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.